Hey everyone, Sagish Rabir here. I'm a designer and entrepreneur and the host of this show. In previous episodes, I tested out rapping for the intro, but I noticed that most people I talk to listen to podcasts at 2x speed or 1.5x speed. So that pretty much destroys their experience with the rapping. So I would love to know what you think. Let me know by sending me a private message on Instagram or Facebook Messenger. I think I'm going to stop with the wrapping for the intros, but I guess I'll do the wrapping every once in a while, but more as a promo for the episodes rather than the actual intro. So let me know what you think. I would really love to hear your thoughts. Send me a private message. So, all right, let's get on to the real intro of the show. Our guest today is Cassidy Tuttle. From the outside, Cassidy would seem like an ordinary person. She's a wife, a mother of two sweet kids. She goes to church, has hobbies such as photography and growing plants. Well, what people... can't really see is that Cassidy is one hell of a top-notch, massively successful creative entrepreneur. When her kids are in schools, she is at her home studio shooting videos for a rapidly growing YouTube channel, managing her team, writing super extensive and well-researched articles, and creating funnels for her online courses. She is also a badass at analytics and has systems in place tracking everything she puts out there. I know because she showed me some of her massively detailed spreadsheets. And guess what her brand is all about? It's plants, not just any kind of plants, but specifically succulents. Cassidy is the founder of a brand called Succulents and Sunshine. She took her hobby of growing succulents and created an empire out of it. I know what you're thinking. Succulents? What? Well, yes. Never think that your passions are too niche. Cassidy is absolutely crushing it with her brand and online business while putting her family first. If you are a creative entrepreneur by heart, you will really love this episode. We talked about growing your YouTube channel, blog and email list, choosing your own name versus a brand name, and when is the right time to launch an online course. Ladies and gents, without further ado, I present to you Cassidy Tuttle. Let's get mindful and ruthless. Yo, yo, what's up, creative entrepreneurs? Sagi here, and welcome to the Mindful and Ruthless podcast. The podcast where we'll talk about online businesses, personal branding, marketing, storytelling, blogging, high achievement, mindfulness, relationships, productivity, and so much more. Everything we need in order to build a life of impact, in order to build a full stack of life what's up everybody <laughs> yes here we are welcome to the mindful and ruthless podcast everybody my name is Sagi Schreiber and today with me is Cassidy Tuttle Cassidy what's up not much thanks for having me on yeah for sure and wait did I mention like I never actually I now recall that I never actually said your last name out loud although I call you Cassidy all the time but like I never said your last name is it Tuttle 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 Tuttle. Yep. Okay, cool, Tuttle. cool. And also in your, like, it does, like, in your uh, Facebook profile, you have, like, it's, like, the, the second last name, right? Yes, yeah. So my maiden name before I was married. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. So do you use it, all the, like, all the time, or do you just, like, on Facebook? Just on Facebook, mostly. So if people that, like, I grew no, up with, they're before. searching. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but Yeah, for sure. Cool. Cool. So Cassidy, welcome to the show. I'm very, very happy to have you here. Very, very psyched to, to be able to talk to you in this format and kind of like also share your knowledge and experience with the audience, with the Mindfulness audience. So thank you for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. <laughs> yeah. Always so, good. Totally. Totally. And, and to anybody who doesn't know, Cassidy and I are in Pat Flynn's Mastermind. So we've been, we've been in touch for almost a year now. kind of like been into each other's businesses, knowing the ups and downs and like the struggle, the highs, the lows, celebrating wins together, celebrating fails together. 
So it's been quite a ride, <laughs> quite a ride this year. Yes, it has. And to all of you who don't know, like Cassidy is the founder of a blog and basically a brand called Succulents and Sunshine, which is a brand all about succulents, which are, if you don't know, a kind of plant, which is <laughs> a very that beautiful plant that you see sometimes and even at the grocery shop uh, while you're at the lines at the register. So it's like a super, super, super niche. But on the other hand, it's so like for the public, for the, for the wide audience cycle of the world. So, right, it's like not a, a niche in digital marketing, you know, it's like a niche in the world, like, you know. So, and Cassidy took that niche and she made it a brand, a beautiful, beautiful brand and a very powerful blog, online courses, trainings, eBooks, whatnot, and made it into a full-on business. So Cassidy, like, that's amazing. And anything I forgot to mention? Nope, that pretty much sums it up. About the business. But the thing is, you're a family, like you're, you're like a, a family woman as well. Like I mean, you're, you're a wife, you're a mother for two amazing kids. You're like, you're, you go to church, you do the regular stuff. Like you're, you know, you're a photographer. Yep. You basically do the regular stuff. So how about you share with us the story of how you actually came about Succulents and Sunshine? Yeah. So you mentioned that I am a photographer, which is really how... I got into this in the first place. So I went to school and got a bachelor's in photography and I was working afterwards and trying to build my photography portfolio. So I had a little blog set up because back in 2012, that's what people were doing was blogging. So I, <laughs> I had a blog set up for that. And then my, well, so I was living in Utah at the time and would always get this really nasty, nasty weather in January. So my mom and I wanted to go do something fun and not gray and dark. So we went up to a, a nursery and I had seen succulents in magazines and different publications I was looking at. And so I knew that they were kind of fun and trendy and decided to get some. So I started photographing them because they're attractive and published the pictures of them on my photography blog, started writing about what I was doing with them because I couldn't really find the information I was looking for. Like I wanted excruciating detail on how to care for these things where I lived, which was not Southern California where they grow perfectly without even trying. So I was documenting that. And then I found out that you can make money online through blogging. And so when I started researching that and put analytics on my photography blog, I realized that all of my traffic was coming to my succulent posts and a lot of it through Google. So I realized I had something going right away. So that's the happy accident part. But then I turned it very intentionally into a business so shortly after that, we moved it over to the Succulents and Sunshine domain and really started building it out, adding more content, being really intentional about what I was doing. And it's just grown from there. So <laughs> we, we got Succulents and Sunshine, the URL in 2013. So we've been doing it for almost six years now, six years in February. Wow. Six years. And yeah. when you say we... You always say we, like, so who's the way behind Succulents and Sunshine? Yeah. So I think I get so used to saying we, cause it's, I mean, I feel like at its core, it's my husband and I doing it. Technically, if most people were to come in and look, it's mostly me, 
at least in the beginning it was. So it actually, yeah. the income from the website put my husband through school, which was awesome. I didn't have to go get another job while he was in school. Yeah. And then now we also have a team of four other people. So me, my husband, and right. then we have four others that work with us. So it's always felt like a group effort to me, even guess when it was mostly me by myself, but it's more fun when it's a group. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, like you have something about like the team mentality and that's how you also kind of like talk about this, the, the, this brand of yours. Like a lot of people talk about like my brand, my thing, like, but you always say we, so I always find that fascinating. So you started like right now, where is Second Ends and Sunshine in terms of like, let's say, you know, what kind of assets do you have online? with this brand? Yeah. So this year we've kind of branched out. Well, I guess in 2018, we branched out into a few different things. So we have the blog and in my head, it's more a website because we're not publishing every week. Well, that's not entirely true, but we're not, we're not uh-huh. publishing like a traditional blog post every week or anything or on a regular basis, but we do have all of that blog content. And then I think you'd mentioned this. We have several eBooks that we sell and also a course. And then beyond that, we have a pretty big Pinterest following. We've dabbled in Instagram. That one's kind of taking the back burner. And then we also have a pretty substantial Facebook group that we started about a year and a half ago. Oh, and it was only a year and a half ago? Yeah. When you started the Facebook group? Wow. Yeah. I want to say it was around October, 2017. You have like over 30,000 people in that group. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, it is crazy. And I will say like, we did make an effort to grow that. Absolutely. And we still promote it through like our email list and all of that. Mm -hmm. But succulents have become so popular that there is a really big market for it right now. And so there, there is some natural organic growth that's happening just because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people looking for succulent information. And even with the group, we've had a lot of people join because they know that it's a really positive environment, that we are regulating it pretty closely. So we don't allow any other, like we don't allow external links or promotion within the group. We're really mm-hmm. on top of making sure people are being nice to each other since apparently adults can't be nice to each other all the time, <laughs> you know, but just making it a really positive place for people to be. And so that has definitely attracted a lot of people. It's crazy. And so we'll get back to the Facebook later. So you also have a YouTube game, very strong YouTube yes. game going on. Yeah. So we just started YouTube in March of last year and that's been really exciting, really fun to see the growth there. So that's been, that's been our main focus in terms of content and promotion is building out the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And we have more to come for that this year as well. So, And how many people do you have right now? How many subscribers? That's a good question. You passed last, the 10K mark, right? Yeah. I say last I checked, I think we were at like 12,000, somewhere That's in there. That's crazy. Oh, 14,000 today. 14,000. Oh my God. All right. Like you, you totally have, so you have like, I mean, I know Succulents and Sunshine is like, it exists for six years now. Yep. So you probably like, you're seeing the growth of something you've been doing consistently for six years. This business is not something you opened yesterday and all of a sudden you have 30,000 people in your Facebook group and 12K on your YouTube, but you right. certainly are doing something right. 
What do you think it is that, you're, that, that gets you to grow a YouTube channel to over 10K in less than a year, a Facebook group to 30,000 people in less than two years? Like, how do you do what you do? What, what is the number one tip that you can get out of, out of that? So I feel like the thing that sets us apart, especially on YouTube and the blog, maybe Facebook too, not quite as much, but definitely on YouTube and the blog, we've been really focused on quality and visual quality just so I mean there we have quality content but there's a lot of people that have quality content and so because my background is photography that's always been a really big deal for me so Mm -hmm. getting traffic to the website a lot of it has been because the photographs are high quality and with YouTube I think that's been a big part of it too is there's a lot of people who have succulent channels on YouTube but the way that we're doing video is different the content's the same, you know, we're not teaching anything completely Uh new, but the way it's presented is different. At least Uh right now, a lot of the video on succulents on YouTube is very like live style. So it's just kind of someone showing up in their backyard and just kind of talking about what they're doing. Whereas our videos are they're scripted to an extent, like they, they're outlined. So we know what we're going to talk about. They're filmed in front of this blue wall. And then we have B-roll, you know, going through just showing the things I'm talking about. So I, I feel like that's been the biggest thing is, and, you know, to make it a little more general, it's just finding a way to stand out and be a little different and then following as much as possible best practice. So like Pat's been coaching me on video. I've also been following Sunny Leonard Doozy and following her tips and advice for video. And really throughout the whole business, it's been, okay, I can learn and experiment, but let's start with what other people know and then go from there. Got it. So I'll tell you something like, you know, I've I've been struggling with right now, like growing my YouTube game. I probably, I haven't been consistent. That's for sure. I think that's, do you think like, how do you see consistency in terms of like the content that you're putting out? So I think that makes a big difference too. So we've actually, we haven't posted anything new for the last month. And that has really shown in terms of our growth and our views, especially subscribers. Mm -hmm. So I do think that consistency makes a difference. But the other thing that I feel like helps with that is having an external audience that's also engaged. So I'm sure if I posted videos on YouTube and just let them go, there would be some response to them, but we're really using YouTube's algorithm in our favor by, so we publish a video Saturday morning at 5am and then we send out our weekly email to our list, which I think now is, it's around 30,000. We send that out at 7 a.m. Saturday morning. And so we're getting all of these views to the channel right away, which is sending positive signals to YouTube. And obviously, the more of that that we can do, the better. And so we we have noticed a dip over you know the last month when we haven't been posting. So consistency definitely makes a difference. It's probably not the only way to grow, but it absolutely helps. Got it. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's actually a nice tip to kind of like send your emails straight after you send your, after you upload your your content, your YouTube YouTube videos. So, 
let's go back to the Facebook group. Or first of all, like, is there any more tips that you think people can use now if they want to start their YouTube channel? And also, like, you know, just for me, you knowing me, and like, I have my YouTube channel. Like, I'm trying to upload videos which are like partial, like, you know, vlogs, partial tips on, you know, on digital marketing and stuff, and partial also like I just I'm just uploading my interview that I'm doing here as well. Do you have any tips on how to grow the channel itself, like without? I mean. Well, not without, but basically like you're, you have massive growth. So when growth, you know, it becomes easier once you grow, but at the beginning, the very beginning, it's very, very hard to get new people on to, to follow you. So, yeah. So I do think that finding a way to get traffic to the videos initially is definitely something you'd want mm. to, to work on because without views, you're not sending any signals to YouTube, but interestingly, they frequently will post a new video in search results just to test it. So they do kind of give the new guy some opportunity there. I feel like one of the ways that people are missing out is with their thumbnails for each video. So especially within a niche that's saturated, it makes a big difference if you have a thumbnail that looks different, but also clearly communicates the message and then stays on brand. So we have developed a really consistent look for all of our content across every single platform. So if you saw one of our images you know, on Pinterest or on Facebook or the same content on YouTube, it's going to look almost identical, you know, mm. or at least just have a lot of really consistent design features to it. But they're also really simple and straightforward. So people looking at the thumbnail can read it, see what it is, and then click through. We're not really good at being like creative and clever with it. Most of ours is just really straightforward. And I think depending on the niche you're in, that works. It definitely works for us because mm -hmm. there's, I mean, not clickbait per se, but you know, using a more clever way of getting people to click through isn't always the best approach if they're just looking for how do I order my succulents? I don't need to do quite some like cutesy catchy thing they just yeah. are going to see the answer and be like yep that's what i want to know yeah. and again this goes back to my bias of being a photographer but i really feel like the thumbnails on youtube make a really big difference and mm -hmm. helping the videos stand out from others in your niche that you're competing with got it so basically you should also make sure that the thumbnails would look the same like would look consistent and also also unique in a way from the rest so how do you like there's so many Thumbnails on YouTube, how do you defer yours from others? Well, I have, <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. If anyone's in the succulent space and this offends you, sorry. But most gardening and in general succulent blogs don't have really good design. They just are not very attractive. Okay. So we kind of just have a one up there because that's our main focus. Got but even when I was trying to get into YouTube and figuring out, you know, are we going to do our thumbnails the same way as we do our Pinterest and our Facebook images? When I was doing searches and scrolling through, I just realized that a lot of people for us weren't even using text on their thumbnails at all. So that, you know, immediately that gave us, you know, an opportunity. Mm -hmm. But I think it comes down to searching for things that you'd like to rank for, you know, or topics that you're posting about seeing what's there. And if everybody's looks the same, if they're all following the same setup could mean that that works, 
but it also could mean there's an opportunity for you to do something that looks different and test that out. And the great thing about thumbnails is you can update them every single day if you want to. So it's not permanent. Whereas the video you upload is permanent. And so you have to be more careful with that, but the thumbnail, you can play around with it a lot and just test and see what works best. Yeah. Just to, for anybody who doesn't know, and once again, on YouTube, just so you know, because like on YouTube, you have videos. And once you post a video, you cannot just change the video. You have to delete the video if you want to re-upload like a new video. And yeah, so I had that with one of my videos recently and that sucked. So, because you lose all the views and all the, like everything. So. Yes. Well, and that's the thing that I love about blogging is the ability to constantly (laughs) update and revise. And so in all honesty, I was deathly afraid of YouTube because it had to be final and it almost prevented us from getting some of our best videos up because I'm like, I can't change this later. You know, I can publish a new one, but I'm going to miss out on all that traction. And especially some of our really early stuff. I'd love to go back and replace it, but after it has a hundred thousand views, it's probably doing okay. (laughs) So, but yeah, not letting that perfectionism prevent things from happening, but getting it good enough. Totally. And in terms of the titles for your YouTube, I know YouTube has become a search engine and you definitely want to find good titles. How does the research process go? So since YouTube is owned by Google, I've already done a lot of research for topics because most of our video content is coming from the blog. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually don't do a lot of research for titles. Part of that being, I know what's working on the blog. And initially when I was getting into YouTube, a lot of the search phrases, all the keywords were really similar. Um, So I just Mm -hmm. haven't put a lot of effort into that. But the other thing is the title matters because it does help you click, you know, it does help with click through, but it actually does not have a huge impact on SEO. Not to say it doesn't have any impact, but because it's something that people can change and edit so easily, it's not one of the top ranking factors for YouTube. So I have not put a ton of effort into researching for that. But that said, I do use a Chrome extension called Keywords Everywhere, which is free. And so I will type in like, okay, I'm doing, I always come back to the watering video because it's the easiest one. But so we have a video that teaches people how to water their succulents. Mm -hmm. So I would type in watering succulents into YouTube and look at the number of views that's getting and then type in how to water succulents and also looking, you know, at their suggested options there Mm -hmm. and ultimately go with the one that gets, that feels most related to the video and that also gets the highest amount of search. So even actually on our watering video, that's like one of our main ones, the title is how and when to water succulents because both how and when were search phrases that showed up and both had a lot of searches. And so I decided just to combine them because it made sense. So even though the search phrases, how to water succulents or when to water succulents, we still fit both of those keywords. Okay. Awesome. Cool. So, and in terms of description, do you have any tips for description writing? Like what, what do you do in your descriptions? Usually in our descriptions, we have a quick intro and we actually do the same thing with our blog post too. Just like two to three paragraphs, 
describing what's going to be in the video or what's going to be covered. Again, including keywords there because that does play into ranking a little bit, but it also is what shows up when people search. So if you just immediately have, you know, say your script for the video and it doesn't get to the point right away, it'll hurt you in search because people won't really know what's going on. So having those first few sentences that are really descriptive, and that's where we're trying to be a little bit more creative or catchy, trying to get some curiosity there. And then after that, we actually outline the key points of the video and we have those time stamped. So if you want to know how to water succulents indoors versus outdoors, you could click on like, I don't know what it is, like at three minutes, that's when we talk about this thing. Got it. And then after that, we just have like a general, I don't know, like a footer kind of, I guess, where we just have like, here's a free link that you can get access to a free course or, you know, cheat sheet. And then here's where we buy most of our succulents, you know, just kind of giving generic info that we get asked a lot and including Mm -hmm. those links below. So we have, we have been able to generate some affiliate sales that way we get a decent number of email opt-ins from YouTube as well, which was our ultimate goal was to get yeah. email subscribers there. So Yeah, totally. So, and, and now like going back like to the, this topic of like the blog and the email growth, like for anybody now starting their own blog, what's your tips and suggestions on how to start growing the email list in the proper manner, of course? Yeah, I would start by... Coming up with a couple ideas for a free lead magnet that you could use. I know, so we we have a three-day video course and that's a really popular option, mm-hmm. but it's also a lot of work to get set up. So finding that balance between something that's easy for you to get up, that's also highly valuable for your audience and is going to pique their interest. And then maybe testing out one or two of them But for me, it's also focusing on one core offer so that you can really test to see, you know, if I put a, like an opt-in at the top of my site, is that going to convert better or one at the bottom of the site? And really just being very intentional about where you're placing the opt-ins in a way that is natural for your reader so that when they get to a certain point in your blog post, they're like, oh yeah, I would love a free cheat sheet on signs that my succulent needs water because I just read about what happens if I don't give it enough water, if I give it too much. So coming up with something that's exciting to them, something they feel like they need enough that they're going to buy it from you with their email address. Right. Okay. Got it. So, and do do you find anything like, so uh, yeah, I mean, a three part series to your, like a video series is amazing. I don't think it's even too hard to pull off in a way. Like everybody has an iPhone almost these days or a good phone with a very good camera. So preparing something like that is not too hard. It's not like it was before. Yeah. Do you do that later? Like, is it also a funnel to your, to your course? Yes. Yeah. So the, the free course is a direct funnel into our paid course. And Mm -hmm. then the other opt-ins, the way that we've made them GDPR compliant is the first email that we send them with their download. We just ask them what they want to do. Like, do you want to get a weekly email from us, which you know we do every Saturday? Or do you want to take this free course that we have, Succulents for Beginners? Mm-hmm. And so at that point, 
it's up to them really. I mean, I guess they wouldn't technically know it's going into a sales funnel, but they do know that they're going to get a series of emails after that instead of just the weekly email. But so basically like that's when people sign up to your newsletter. You have those two links. If they sign up for any other lead magnet. So we have the, we do have the course that's most universally available that we're promoting the most, but we have actually five or six other lead magnets that we're promoting either just as a landing page or within other blog posts. Mm-hmm. So I think if you go to like our Growing Succulents Indoors post, we have an opt-in that is specifically related to Growing Succulents Indoors. And then, so on the homepage though, you have the three-part videos series, right? Yes. And yep. then when people sign up to the three, three-part video series, they sign up for that and they don't expect to get your newsletter. No. So, and actually at the end of that funnel, so after we've sent them the, the free course and then information about the paid course, after that, we actually send them that decision letter again. Like, do you mm. want to keep hearing from us? Do you want to receive the weekly emails? Or we have actually a shorter, we have a different autoresponder series that they can also opt into that just covers some other basic topics. So yeah. it's a little more complicated at the end of that one, but. Yeah, I'm just like thinking also about my strategy because I'm about to redo my website right now. I launched it this year. Like, so 2018 was the year I launched my website and pretty yeah. funny. And now I have my newsletter out. My newsletter is already four weeks in. And I don't know if you know this, by the way, I launched my two other communities, newsletter first, like basically like blog first, then newsletter. And the podcasts just came way later. So I'm the newsletter guy in a way. But in Mindform Ruthless, I haven't sent newsletters ever up until four weeks ago. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm really rethinking my email strategy with GDPR and everything that's going on. Everybody's like, everybody's bullshit radar is so, you know, like, it's like constantly working right now, right? Like, like yeah. if they get one email that, that they didn't sign up for, they're like, oh, spam, like, you know, and you don't want that on your email list, right? Because yeah. just to anybody who doesn't know, and, and listening to this, if people, a lot of people mark you as spam or something like that, then or even if they don't open your emails, you are actually brought down in the rankings by Google and by Gmail like that. So when, when people get your newsletter the next time, it goes directly into spam. So you really don't want to do that because you will lose basically, you know, your ranking on Gmail. And that's where most people get their emails. So you don't want to do that. So now the question is this, because if you send an email, like you sign them up for an opt-in, for instance, a three-part video series, and you only send them an email after the video series ends, you lose a lot of people that could have been signed to your newsletter. Yep. On the other hand, if you sign them up to your newsletter by saying you get this opt-in, but you also get opt-in to my newsletter, some people will get the newsletter and be like, what the heck, right? Yeah, and that's actually something that I played around with with the messaging on our opt-ins. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I want to be more conservative than, I don't know, than risk, like you're saying, getting more spam. I actually had a guy email me and call me out on something. He lived in Great Britain. He's like, this is actually not GDPR compliant. So nice of him, I guess, to email me and tell me that he didn't feel like it fit. And so after that, I've been a little bit more conscious about that. But when I think right now, like our top of... We have like a sticky bar or whatever that you can opt in to the course. And on there, it says, get our free course and 
weekly newsletter. So I am trying to be a little bit more, I guess, upfront about that. Got it. But I think all of our other opt-ins though, we just don't move forward with anything unless they click and say, yes, I want to receive this thing. Got it. Because a lot of our audience is also older. And so they they feel like things are spam a lot more quickly than you know millennials who are like, oh yeah, of course you're going to be sending me 50 emails because that's what happens when you put your email address in somewhere. <laughs> when yeah. you're 70 or 80, that's not the first thing that you think of. So. Yeah. All right. Got it. Got it. And there's always going to be trolls as well. You got to be watching yourself for, yeah. from trolls. I got an email for my, like Pixel Perfect, my Hebrew. I got an email from a lawyer, like saying, my client has declared that your website is not accessible to people with like site issues or something like that. I'm like, wait a second. Like my site is compliant. I, I have an extension, one of the best in like in Israel that does this. I'm one of the first websites in Israel to actually do this. So what are you talking about? And he's like, he didn't get back to me. And basically that was like a threat on my, you know, it's like someone threatening to sue me for like, you know, my side not being compatible in some way, although it already is. But anyways, eventually he sent me like, all right, I see you are compatible. Okay. Like, like, what is it? Was that a troll? It might've been a troll. Like really? Like, so anyway. Yeah, we got to watch out as bloggers about this. So cool. So yeah, thank you for, for sharing this with me, Cassidy, like your process and stuff. Like I'm, I'm just like now that I'm building mine, it's, I'm rethinking my strategies and trying to see if I need to do things differently than what I did in Hacking UI and my other blog, Pixel Perfect. And yeah, yeah definitely. Well, thinking. And something that I have been realizing more and more, because I, well, as you know, one of my goals for 2019 is actually to start teaching blogging the way that I blog. And as I'm prepping for that, I'm also paying a lot more attention to how other people are teaching blogging and other people's approaches. And between that and also my experiences in the past year of following things that most people say are best practice versus doing things that seem to make the most sense to my audience, I have realized that a lot of success in blogging and in owning your own business is paying attention to what other people are doing and seeing if it works for you, but modifying it if it doesn't. Like a great example is we just redid our sales page for our course and we hired a copywriter to help us get that done. And one of the things that he specifically did was not put a purchase button at the top of the page because we felt like we were having trouble getting people to see or understand the value. And so if they clicked that button that took them right to the pricing at the beginning, they were missing all the value that we'd worked so hard to like lay out for them. And it's interesting because even in the mastermind and a few other people that I ran the page by before we launched it, everyone's like, oh, you need a button at the top. You need a button at the top. <laughs> so we tested it. You know, We split test and saw which one converted best. And for us, the one without the button at the top worked the best. Huh. And that was a huge game changer for me because I realized that I do need to understand what best practice says but also be willing to try something different and see what works. And a lot of my personal approach to blogging is really passive. Like my goal is to not be putting a ton of work in. Maybe I could be making more money. Sure. But if I can make what I'm making now and only work 10 to 15 hours a week, 
awesome. I'd rather do that than work 40 hours a week and make 20% more. So I think as your audience is starting their own businesses, as you're going into your thing, I think it's really important to know what your core values are, what things are most important to you and make sure that you're building your website in a way that is sustainable for that. Because I've been tempted a lot of times a lot of times to, you know, shift gears and try someone else's thing. And I get into it a little bit because I am a sucker for shiny object syndrome. We all are. And yep. And I get into it a little bit and I'm like, ah, no, I don't want to be doing this. This is not what I want. Like, yeah, great. They can make a million dollars doing it, but it is not aligned with me. And actually, even before we got on this call, I was talking to my assistant about our Facebook group. Because that is one of those exact things that I got into because everyone's like, you need to have a Facebook group. And our Facebook group's awesome. As you know, it's gigantic. You know, most people would kill for 30,000 people in their Facebook group. And yet it doesn't actually align with my personal approach. And so we've had some people comment and say, you know, the admin's not in this group very much. It's because I don't like it. It is not where I enjoy being, I'd rather be working on a YouTube video or responding to comments on the blog, you know, or email. There's just a different place where I would rather be, where I feel like I serve my audience better because it's more Mm -hmm. true to who I am. So that's one of my big focuses actually for 2019 is making sure everything I do is in line with not only the now, but the long-term as well. I think it's a great insight and you certainly have it after years of experience, but it also goes directly to everybody who's just starting right now, because when you're starting out right now, it's massive. I mean, there's YouTube, there's Instagram, there's a blog, there's a newsletter, there's email opt-ins with lead gens, there's funnels, there's Facebook groups, there are Facebook pages, there's Twitter, there's like so many things, there's so many platforms, right, that you need to be on, there's chatbots, there's like everything. And you're like, you're overwhelmed by the opportunities, right? And also by the standards. Like if you don't have an Instagram account, shame on you. It's like kind of, kind of like the feeling, right? If you're not on YouTube, you're missing out. That's YouTube right now. That's what's hot. You know, like, so, I mean, yeah, I feel certainly stressed about like, not stressed, but certainly like maybe stretched too thin with what I'm trying to accomplish being on all those platforms. I'm in between the, you know, it's my... It's a new community here, Mindful and Ruthless. I can say that right now. You know, it's, I still call it new because it's less than a year old, but it's also not my first community. So I feel kind of like comfortable now and I got a team together and they were helping me and we're putting together a strategy now to repurpose content in a, in a great way. So we'll have a blog post, we'll have the newsletter ready, we'll have everything. But yeah, it's a struggle. And, and for new people coming in, what you just said, like finding what you want to do, what, where do you want to be? Where can you serve your people the best that you want to enjoy? For the long term, it makes things easy, just easier, right? Yeah. And you do kind of have to test the waters with everything too. You know, like personally, I love consuming Instagram. Like if I'm on social media personally, it's Instagram. But because of the way Instagram connects to my blog and the way you have to interact on Instagram in order to be successful with it, even though we've tried it a few times, Instagram for my business just does not resonate with me. And every single day I'm like, uh, I just want it to, to work the way I want it to work, you know? And it, and yeah. it, I'm 
again, we could put that effort in and, and we have, that's the other thing is you can't just like test it for two days and be like, Oh no, yeah, we're yeah. going to work. Like we've put in good effort to almost everything that we've done. Either that, or I figured out really quick that it doesn't work for me on a personal level, not necessarily that we're not having success with it, but it's, I don't know. There's that fine line between doing something that scares you or that makes you uncomfortable and doing something that is going to cause long-term stress and anxiety for you as well. Yeah, totally. By the way, just like saying, also some something I realized is, and, and just I'm opening this up with everybody that's watching the replay or listening on iTunes. And this show is a live show. It's recorded. The Mindfulness podcast is a live podcast. It's recorded live. And then it's basically, we're taking the audio and creating the podcast out of that. But I am actually considering killing the live shows, killing the live shows for the podcast in 2019. I still haven't made that decision clear yet, but I found out that one is Facebook has so many technical issues that like you saw at the beginning, like you don't know if you're live or not. You can never start strong. You can never start like, everybody, what's up? Welcome to the mindfulness. No, you're like, am I live? Am I live? Let me check my phone. Let me check my, like, you can't ever just start like a normal podcast. And then also there's the thing with like people consume live videos differently. That's what I found out. They can hop on a Facebook live for like 15 minutes and then they're off like 15 minutes. Really? I'm exaggerating. Like people here also now we've had like a couple people live. They just, they're gone now. <laughs> like, no, like everybody Count for a bit, leave a minute, two minutes off to the next thing. They see a notification, get out there, they see an email there. Somebody calls them, their kids call them, they're, they're gone. So it's not like a webinar or anything like that. It's just like, you know, live. And then when they watch just a few minutes of this live, Cassidy, I don't think they actually are going to come back to the podcast and listen to it on iTunes. That's my take. Like, I think most of them are like, oh, I heard yeah. Cassidy. So I got the gist, like something and they're gone like and it's not like like a podcast so i'm having i think the live is cannibalizing my growth of the podcast and i'm also not seeing any growth in the live although i've tried many things to bring more people to the live i'm seeing the same amount of views same amount of replays it's like it's like not growing because again like there's a limit to what people can stand on facebook you know like in terms of like long form content so yeah. i'm definitely planning on killing these interviews this might be one of the last interviews that's live <laughs> and then i'll just like pump the podcast like the podcast is the main thing i think it's like so yeah that's anyways just sharing my my insights well and it's interesting that you say that because there's another girl in the mastermind with us who lives work well there's a couple of people actually in the mastermind who live video works extremely well for them and for their audience and I'm not going to lie. I did not put a full wholehearted effort into live video within our Facebook group. Again, that comes back to where it did not align with what I wanted to be doing. But I felt similarly where it was like, I think I have other ways where I can get more engagement and really serve people better. But you know, you've done this for almost a year. And so now you have that experience to say, okay, we've done this. Here's the things we've done to try and improve. And it's not really working. Do we keep pushing forward, see if we can, you know, make this really happen? Or does it make sense to shift and try a different approach? And that's the fun of owning your own business is figuring out when you're making the change and when you're going to push through. 
Yeah, totally. And I, I totally agree. That's, that's the fun thing about like you can, your audience is your audience and people, if you're listening to this, either the replay or another replay, like if you're listening on iTunes or watching on YouTube later on, let me know what you think about this. So I would love to hear your thoughts, answer in the comments or something, and I'll, I'll, I'll promise to answer you. So, all right. So I like we're running short of time and I have so much I want to talk to you about, but we talked about email growth. We talked about YouTube growth in terms of like the topic here, like of this show in a way is like, you know, the, the niche domination. So everybody has some kind of niche. Your niche is, might be a very, very small niche in terms of like it's a plant and it's a succulent, but it's also a very big niche because again, it's a big market. By the way, I've, I've like, whenever people ask me about a niche, like, should I go niche or not? I'm like, listen, if you got a niche that is connected to something that they sell at the grocery shop near the registers, then you're, you're on a gold mine. <laughs> you're like, you're on a gold mine. That's like, because it's like niche, but it's like the thing that everybody wants. So, and it's, everybody could have one at their house, like succulents. Everybody has one at their house some point or another, like in time. So, and there, like, there's so many things. I remember, like, in the mastermind, we talked about so many like different like product ideas. And like, one of the ideas were like was like the book. Like, I can totally imagine like this book coming out of like a beautiful photographs or of succulents, like one day. So I don't know if you'll ever do it, but if you will, that would be amazing. I'll buy one, it's like, because it's visually appealing. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, so content domination, niche domination. What would be your tips for? for anybody who's like starting out in some kind of niche and now wants to kind of like really on the game there. So this is where it comes back to, this is my approach. You can take a totally different approach if you want, but the way that I look into whether or not a niche is where I want to go, because that's actually part of our long-term plan is to have actually several niche sites. So I start with, is it something that gets me excited? You know, is it something that people ask me about all the time that I feel like I'm answering the same questions over and over, which is why I'm finally getting into teaching blogging, even though other people are doing it. And so that, that can go both ways. It makes it more competitive, but it also gives you a place to stand out. So do you get excited about it? And then do you have at least a list of like 50 or more ideas that you could possibly write about, create content about whether or not they're good ideas, doesn't matter, but do you just have like an almost a never ending list of ideas? Because I do feel like you need a good chunk of content in order to make the site worth people's time and coming. And then after that is when I would actually start looking into more of the, I guess the technical aspects of it. Is there search traffic to these keywords? You know, are there products based around the topic you're talking about? Something interesting is my my sister-in-law has actually started a blog following my approach. And we had two different ideas for her. She ended up actually executing both ideas, which is fun. But <laughs> one of them, the main product that she was writing about, there's not a good way to buy it online. And so we felt like that was kind of a handicap for that site. But the second site, even though you can buy the product online, there's not that much to write about. Like it's pretty limited. And so at the end of the day, it was more important that she had a lot of content that she could keep writing about, keep building the site on, and then focusing on just some related products that she can sell online. So 
there are definitely technical aspects of blogging, you know, like having the search traffic, having a market that make a difference, but it also matters that it works for you. And there's a lot that you can write about people. When I go to like blogging conferences and, you know, everyone's like, Oh, so what do you blog about? And I tell them succulents. They're like, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. But I have this photo that I took two years ago where we printed out all of the ideas that I had just typed into a Google doc for succulents and sunshine. Like I just call my brain up. Anytime I have an idea, we'd put it there. So we printed it out, we organized it and we put it up on the wall and it was floor to ceiling, four sheets of butcher paper. So about two and a half, three feet wide. Wow. So we had almost a whole bedroom wall full of ideas for just succulents. You know, it's, So I'm of the opinion that succulents is too big of a niche and I'd like to niche more. (laughs) But for most people, it's like super duper niche. Yeah. Yeah. Does that answer your question? (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, so so that's like, so now like, you know, a person comes and and has an idea for a niche and asks themselves, should I go for this niche? And for instance, now, okay. So they have unlimited stuff. They want to, they're passionate about it. It excites them. They have a never ending list of stuff. They can write about it. The research and market saw that there is a lot of, you know, items in this market. Great. So they're going for it. They're launching the blog. So yep. now the question is like, I guess we already answered the question of, of what platform should you go for? Because we already answered that. What can you serve your people best at? And where can you serve best at? Best at? And also where like, do you see yourself serving long-term at, right? Anything that besides that when, you know, when you choose a platform? Well, my personal suggestion would be to do it on WordPress and have a blog. There's actually quite a few people in the mastermind that we've talked to about this. I feel like ultimately the blog is something that you will always own. You'll always have. It's always an asset that is available to you, regardless of what other platform you decide you want to promote on. Granted, like WordPress could go away or things like that, but I still have all that written content, the sites built out. So I recommend regardless of what platform you go with, I would have a website with a written form of your content. Because even though there's a lot of interest right now with video, there's a lot more interest in podcasting, there's still people that are going to be reading. You know, you can't always listen to stuff. You can't always watch stuff, but you can almost always read, you know, and obviously there's situations where you can't, but you know, it's, it is a way of communicating that I don't think is going away for quite a long time, if ever. And so I would definitely build out a website and make sure you're taking advantage of all of those people searching on Google, on Bing, on whatever platform it is with the written content and photo, if it works for you. Yeah. And also, like, I, I totally agree. I actually have something similar where I say, like, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to blog. Like, it doesn't matter what you choose. You can choose, like, a platform like Facebook or a platform like YouTube, or it doesn't matter. You need to still blog in a way because you're always going to write. You need to practice your writing and storytelling skills in written format. Yeah. Because right, you write emails even. You write, like, you write all the time. Well, and I don't know if you've followed very much of Sean McCabe's stuff, but he says, and it's true, everything comes back to writing. If you're doing video, you're writing a script or you're at least talking. So there is, you know, there's written, there's words there. And same with podcasting, 
So everything does come back to right. words and eventually putting them on screen or paper. Yeah, I mean, totally. Like in, and on YouTube, you write a description for your videos. And in and, and yeah. a podcast, you have to put up the blog post with the show notes. And if you don't do it well, that would suck for you. So yeah, I think it's a great yeah. tip. So no matter how you start, make sure you have a blog up on WordPress. Pretty simple to do. You don't have to yeah. sweat yourself too much. Do you know anything about Medium, by the way? Like, you know, I... I I know that Medium is also a platform to kind of like launch a bug. It's still not yours to keep, but it's easy to start if you don't want get, to get the technical burden. I know it exists. That's about as yeah. far as I know. <laughs> That's about as much as I All know. Right. I can just share that from my experience writing on Medium as well, like as, as well as my blog, it's a great way to, I don't know if you ever tried this. If you're not, you should republish your content there. So basically like if you republish your content on Medium, especially with the link back to your article, then you will not get punished by SEO. At least not that I know of, like, and I studied this for a bit because like it doesn't a direct, consider it. A direct copy? Like exactly, not, direct not copy. Not rewriting it, but the word for word? Direct copy. On hmm. top of the blog post, you write, this was originally published in, you know, Succulence and Sunshine blog, you know, that's it. And then what yeah. you can do on Medium is you can turn to big publications over there that have like 200, 300,000 followers subscribers or its followers on medium and then you just go to them and say hey i have this article would you mind publishing it on your publication so you turn to like four mm -hmm. publications three will say no one will say yes boom you got another like you know you got an amazing reach for for in one of your articles and you can do it like a month after you publish your article on your blog and get the seo you know ranked and scraped so anyways hmm. it's a it's I'm a method like that. and for people starting out my tip is like if you really, really, really don't want to start your WordPress site, it's the most important thing that you start writing. So you can start writing on Medium, I think, like although it's not your blog and not your platform, and you can turn to publications, you'll get amazing reach on publications on Medium, and then start your blog. Like, but you, at one point, you will need your WordPress, I think, website. At least it's in 2019, still WordPress. So it's been like that for like 10 years or more. So <laughs> WordPress is WordPress. It's great. So... Yeah. All right. Cool. So blogging on WordPress, doing other social networks on WordPress when you're blogging. I want to talk about that for a second because you're known, Cassidy, for creating amazing long form articles on a topic. But now you have a team that helps you with it, right? Yes and no. Okay. I Most of the written still comes from me. Okay. So what's your process? So let's see. So the new content we're coming out with right now, I'm going to start there for just a split second. So we're coming out with basically like an encyclopedia entry almost for specific species or types of succulents. So that new content is very heavily research-based. And that is something that my assistant is actually doing basically the whole thing, like 95% of. And then I'm coming in and making a few tweaks you know, just if there's something I happen to know about that particular plant or asking her to double check certain things. And that's been really awesome because that's been a good way to get new content that we can rank for that's not just like basic care of succulents. But for anything that falls into like actually teaching people how to grow succulents, usually the approach is I have an idea or one of our readers has a question is really the way it usually comes about now. And we keep getting the same question over and over. So if I don't know 
the answer right away. I'll do some researching. I'll ask some friends who grow succulents and are like landscapers, have a lot of experience, that type of thing. And then once I've done enough research where I feel like I can ask the question, I just sit down and write it out. And if you end up going to my site and you start reading anything, you'll notice that it sounds almost exactly like I'm talking to you. I write the same way I speak for better, for worse. That's how it comes out. And then we'll go back and, and revise, you know, to make it a little bit more concise. That's not my strong suit is being concise. So that's why all my stuff's really long. So I can drag it out. But, you know, we want to make sure though, that it's answering the question. It's getting to the point as soon as possible. Cause no one wants to read a thousand word blog post that just says one thing. And then from there, I'll also go back and revise the content based on keywords that we can potentially rank for. Mm-hmm. So a great example of this is a couple of years ago, I was writing a post. I wanted to call it how to pot succulents. But as I was doing some keyword research, like that didn't get very much traffic, you know, compared to other things. Like it was getting like 300 searches a month. I'm like, no, 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 this, this has, this topic has to be getting more volume. So what I realized was that people weren't searching how to pot a succulent. They were searching how to plant a succulent. So then we went from like 300 searches to 3000, which is a big difference. So it says the same thing, right? Like the overall idea is the same, but the words we're using were slightly different. And so now whenever we write a post, I always write it first so that it sounds natural. It sounds organic. And then we follow up by replacing words or kind of tweaking things to make it a little bit more search friendly. Cause yeah. ultimately that's our goal is to help the person who's searching for that thing in a way that sounds natural. So I do like, I mean, this one of my weak spots is like SEO and searching for those stuff. Like I, I write, like you say, I write really well. Like I speak, that's why people connect to my messages usually. Mm -hmm. And I write long form content. And then my problem is I just like, first of all, I'm too eager to post already and get through with it and like ship it, but I can overcome that. I just, right now I'm still looking for the perfect process in order to find, you know, the proper keywords or like, you know, the proper words for everything. Yeah. Honestly, the biggest resource I use right now is keywords everywhere. That's like my go-to thing. You'll probably hear me talking about all the time. And I feel like that answers most of my questions, but then it comes down to putting that information into practice. So just kind of a quick overview of what each, how each blog post is set up to enable it to rank well. And I will say we have a major advantage because we already are ranking. But in the beginning, I was ranking for stuff and I didn't even know what you know SEO was. But the reason was because my, my posts, though they were written the way I talk, they were formatted in such a way that little did I know Google really liked it. So ones that people generally know is having the keyword in the title and the URL also having it in a subheader. So I think something that gets overlooked a lot, and there, there are still people who do it, obviously, but something that gets overlooked is using headers all throughout the post 
because it helps the reader find what they're looking for by skimming. Because I know from personal experience that I rarely read an entire blog post. You know, I'm like, okay, let me yeah. figure out where the answer is that I'm actually looking right. for and keep all the intro. Right. So if you have subheaders in there that also include the keyword or a variation of it, that's ideal. Using bullet points, if it makes sense, having really short paragraphs that also makes the content more skimmable. So most of my paragraphs, you know, English teacher would get mad at you, but they have two like, lines, one line. Yeah, okay. one or two sentences. Yeah, yeah. And then what I feel like is my secret weapon, and more people know about this than they used to, but I really feel like imagery is a huge part of ranking an article. So making sure that before a photo is even uploaded to your website, it's renamed with a keyword phrase. And then once it's uploaded, making sure you have the keyword in the alt text and in the title, and then having multiple of those with different names and keywords. Because I used to just name them all the same, like propagating succulents one, propagating succulents two. But being more descriptive, I have noticed that Google is doing a lot more of, I don't know, they're reading it, I guess, more. So saying this is a, you know, this particular type of succulent on a blue background, getting watered or something like that. And having several of those in there and because my website is so image heavy, that's a really big deal for us, <laughs> you know, is making sure that those are really well optimized. I know a lot of people are like, but I just, I just have text. I don't have, you know, pictures <laughs> of pretty plants that I can show. But if you can come up with even two like infographics or screenshots or just a quote card, some sort of image that can be in there to give you that little boost. I think that makes a big difference. All right. So like you mentioned, you compress your images. Like what do you use, TinyPNG or something else? Short Pixel. Short Pixel? What's that? It is just a plugin for WordPress. Oh, really? So you upload your images and it automatically compresses them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. And you can actually, like you can upload your images online to their website to see side by side the comparison of the compression. Right, Because obviously I want my site to load fast, but I also want my images to look really good. I don't want them to look compressed. I doubt most people do. And so before I used it universally across my site, I played with that a lot. I, I uploaded a bunch of different images and compared to see, you know, can I push it this far? And eh, it looks okay for this image, but it totally ruins this other image, you know? And so just kind of getting a feel yeah. for how far you can compress before it's going to affect the quality of your site in terms of that visual. Got it. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm using tiny PNG, but I will definitely check out short pieces as well. And I think tiny PNG also is very similar because they have the website that, you know, you can compare the sizes, but also you can, I think they have a WordPress extension. I haven't used it yet, but I'll check it out. And that's, that's ultimately how I have mine set up with short pixel is there's a WordPress extension. So I do try and get the file size fairly small on my computer before it's uploaded and then let them do the rest. But it is just, I'm just using it as a WordPress plugin now. So it automatically compresses once we upload stuff. Cool. All right. Awesome.
All right, just wanted to take a short break here. If you listen to this episode all the way here, it means you probably find value in it, right? So, well, I wanted to just let you know that this is a weekly show and it's published first on the Mindful and Ruthless Facebook group as it's recorded live. Yes, this is a Facebook live interview and it basically allows you to interact with the speakers and myself and ask questions as we're recording the podcast and we are trying to answer all of those questions so if you haven't already be sure to search and join the mindful and ruthless group on facebook i promise you you'll find amazing value in joining this community as long as basically joining a community with a lot of other amazing entrepreneurs so all right back to the episode that's in terms of like you know blogging and creating that's kind of like so so far you're making sure you're discoverable you're making sure you're putting out great content at the beginning you're still thinking of like launching your blog should you go for your full name or the name of your brand what is your take on that because most brands are brand name mine was also but right now my blog is sagishriber.com just because of like this kind of like I remember when I had hackingui.com and when I had Pixel Perfect, I said, my next blog is going to be under my name. And then I still have the brand, Mindful and Ruthless. That's my brand. Why not it be you know, just Mindful and Ruthless? Yeah. I think it depends on what, on what your niche is. So to me, it wouldn't make any sense to have the Succulents and Sunshine content on CassidyTuttle.com. And I think it comes back to, again, your reader or you know the, the searcher. If you're looking at a search result on Google, how to water succulents, and you see two posts titled how to water succulents, one's on the website, succulents and sunshine, and one's on suc- or on CassidyTuttle.com. I don't know about you, but I'm going to click the one on succulents and sunshine because I can tell the whole site is going to be about succulents. But kind of the flip side of that is like when I am starting to teach blogging this year, it's going to be on CassidyTuttle.com. And I have a kind of a brand name in mind. And so I'm, I'm having that debate right now with myself. You know, <laughs> do, I, do I go with that, that URL and that kind of brand or do I stick with it on Cassidy Tuttle? And I feel like because of the way I'm teaching and because I will be so present in the teaching, ultimately to me, I think it makes the most sense to keep it on CassidyTuttle.com. Because maybe I won't teach blogging. Maybe I'm going to teach some, I don't know, maybe someday I'd like teach photography, which is unlikely, but you know, then I have that flexibility. But if you're going to do something outside of a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a way that say this makes sense, but you know, like outside of a coaching sphere, and I mean, technically I could coach people on succulents, but you know, if it's not something that's specific to you, my thought would be to brand put it. Yeah. To brand it. And some of that too is, you know, do you want to sell the business at some point? I don't think I'd ever sell succulents and sunshine because it's what got me where I am, but I could sell it and it would work. You know, there's some things that would be a little bit weird because I talk in first person and things like that, but my face is not in every single post. You know, I'm not like down in the ground, showing you everything the way I do it. I talk about how I do it, but I also talk about why it works for anyone that way. So I, I think it I think it depends a lot on how you're teaching and what you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I have that debate again, you know, because I'm like 
teaching others how to launch their personal brands in a way. And like, that's what I'm writing about. And that's what I'm doing. Uh, it's creative entrepreneurship and it's like building your personal brand and everything like that. So it's like connected to me directly. And Mindful Rules is not like in a way has anything to do with a specific niche in a way. It's just like entrepreneurship. And yeah, again, that's, that's the thing that I have in mind. But anybody here listening or watching is definitely can, can probably relate to this kind of like debate, you know? I do go for the brand name or the personal name. And yeah. And I think even along that line, to some extent, I feel like most people want to learn something like building a brand or building a business. I feel like I'm more inclined to learn that from an individual because I want it to be personal. Whereas with succulents, I don't really care if it's a person or if it's just a really, I don't know, it's a, it's a site that's just full of information about that. You know, just even thinking about like my approach to blogging, most of it has been following individuals and following their approach. And it's generally been through their personal brand. Yeah. I guess Pat Flynn maybe being the exception there of his, <laughs> his brand, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right, cool. So yeah, it's a, it's a just, I guess it's a debate that nobody would ever have a definite answer to here and there. But yeah, that's like, depends on what you want to do. And it's a, it's a good point of thought. So yeah. thank you. There is a very slight benefit to having a strong keyword in your URL. Less so than there used to be. Not like a deal breaker, but that could be a consideration. For SEO, yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. So now we've launched our blog. Everything's great. Now, what time do you think is the right time to launch some kind of product, some kind of online course? The beginning... Maybe not, a, I don't know, maybe not a course, but if you can do it, I would. If you can do it and launch, absolutely. From I, the get-go? Oh, from the get-go, yep. Really? I don't, but you don't have audience yet to sell that course too. But they don't know that. They don't know that you don't have an audience. You know, okay. I, that's one thing because people have asked me that a lot. Like, when did you start monetizing or when should I start putting ads on my site? And like, now, may as well have something there that you can start testing because most casual observer of a website, if they come, they're not going to know if you have 10 people a day visiting or 10,000 people or 100,000. They just know that they're there. And if you are able to create a product and launch and serve your audience from the beginning, go for it. <laughs> the cool. only exception to that maybe would be, I don't know that I would do a course right away because it is generally a bigger product. There's a lot more production involved and you don't want to go too far without having some sort of validation beyond you thinking it's a good idea. So, you know, I would, well, I have a friend who's kind of going through that same debate right now. She has a site, she's getting some traffic and she's like, I'm not making any money from this yet, but I'm starting to get an audience. I'm like, well, just put out an ebook, you know, find a $10 product that will serve your audience that you can test and then get feedback from them and start building from there. But at the end of the day, most people don't know how big you are or how big your audience is. They just know what they need and what they want. And if you right. can give them what they need and want, then I would say start immediately. Cool. All right. Awesome. Thank you. And last thing that 
I would like to talk to you about like analytics because you're like the perfect analytics person. You're like, to anybody who doesn't know, Cassidy is an analytics master. She tests everything. She has everything connected to like to everything in terms of like UTMs and stuff like that. So do you have any tips on that? Like, you know, when, when I'm starting to, you know, put out blog posts and stuff like that and, and how do I do it in the best possible way to make sure I'm on, I'm tracking and what should I be tracking? From the yeah. So I actually had someone tell me that I'm tracking things that aren't important, which could be, and so it does kind of depend on what you want to know. So for me, I want to know what opt-ins people are going to most, like which mm-hmm. are converting the best. And I also want to know where my sales are coming from. That's the biggest one for me. And I guess along with that, where my email opt-ins are coming from, like maybe one thing is responding well or is, is converting well for organic search, but something else is converting better for Pinterest. So where things are coming from and what the actual like destinations or goals are. So purchases, email opt-ins, those are the two big ones. Yeah. That's so basically, I kind of like yeah. whenever you have a conversion point, you want to track it, but you know. Yeah. Cause, and I've gotten, I've attempted to track things more in detail than I currently do, which is still very detailed. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like in my ideal world, I would love to know for each individual, like I want to know what pages they were on right before they purchased. And there's some of that that obviously is it's private information. (laughs) There's some privacy issues there. And there are things that can give you that data generally, but you do have to figure out, is this information helping me in any way? So one of the big things that you'd indicated that I kind of obsess over is using UTM parameters, which basically is a fancy, it's not that fancy, but just a little code that you put at the end of a URL that tells Google Analytics where that person's coming from, which it can be a lie because if they went to that URL, but they didn't actually come from that source, it's still going to track it there. But so in terms of like our Facebook group, our Facebook page, our YouTube videos, our Pinterest efforts, all of those, any links that we're putting out, we have UTM parameters on so that I can see how much money I'm making from the Facebook group, how much I'm making from the Facebook page or from YouTube. And some of that has also driven the decisions with the Facebook group. Like I maybe make $50 a month from the Facebook group, but I'm paying someone to moderate the group and I'm paying them more than $50. So is it worth doing? You know, and then that's where the decision comes into play. But anything that you can make a decision based on that would benefit your business. That's what I feel like is worth tracking. Yeah. So for me right now, that's the source of traffic. And then like you're saying, the conversion points, the sales and the email opt-ins. Got it. Cool. So measuring that, do you have any sources that people can study from or any tips for how to get started with this for anybody who doesn't know? Well, in like three or four months, I'll have it. <laughs> I'll have it all outlined on Cassidy Tuttle. So much of what I've done has just been experimentation and adapting things that I've already been doing or taking pieces from people. Mm -hmm. 
So you're going to have it. Like, listen, it's okay to say that you're going to have it yeah. in a couple of months. And we're definitely going yeah. to be up on the webinar when that happens. Yeah, it'll be awesome. So I can tell you what I have. Here's that. Because that's, I don't know anyone else who does the way I do, which is the tricky part. So <laughs> the, thing that, the thing that we have is we, we call it a master spreadsheet. And so oh, on that spreadsheet, we have... Should the, we call the monster spreadsheet? It is. It is a monster. Yeah. So we have a, a list of the title and the URL of every page that's on the Succulents and Sunshine website. And then because spreadsheets are awesome, we're able to just easily add UTM codes or UTM parameters to all of those URLs. So we can just copy and paste them. So it's not like I'm typing out the UTM parameter every time because that would be a disaster. But then we also have that as a reference where I can say, I don't remember what this you know, campaign name is for. And then I can go back and reference it on the spreadsheet. So the, I guess the one resource that I could give you is if you just search UTM parameters or UTM generator, Google has a page where you can like put in your URL and it'll explain all the pieces of the UTM parameters because most people probably don't know what those are and just how they interact with your analytics. But the master spreadsheet is, will be one of the products actually that will sell on CassidyTubble.com. It's just the template for that. So all you have to do is add in your URLs and kind of everything else will just do its thing. But then it becomes a very long URL. So you do it with pretty links? Yep. And so then that's the other thing is we also have a system for pretty links. So if you go to our Facebook page and you see a link to our watering post, it'll be succulentsandsunshine.com slash FBP dash watering. But if you saw that same URL or same post in our Facebook group, it would just be FB dash watering or on YouTube, YT dash watering. So the... The biggest thing for us is we came up with these universal campaign names, which is a term we got from the UTM parameters. So every single blog post or page is assigned its own campaign name so that we know exactly what post is being referenced. And then Pretty Links makes it super easy. So no matter what platform I'm on, there are like our core posts. I always know how to write a link to it, whether I'm on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook. Yeah, and to anybody who doesn't know, Pretty Links is a uh, WordPress plugin that basically takes any link you give it, and you can say, you know, if your website succulentsandsunshine.com, then it's some kind of like long, very long URL, doesn't matter where from, even on YouTube or something or Facebook or whatever, you take that URL, throw it in there, and you give it some kind of like, you decide what you give it. So basically, it's like succulentsandsunshine.com slash, and you decide what will be it's ending. So it could be like, you know, YouTube video about second ends. That would be a, your URL. So pretty links. Yeah. I'll also link to everything here that was mentioned in the show in the show notes. So yeah, for sure. And uh, so thank you for sharing this. And we got a bit technical. So if anybody like lost us, don't worry, don't get too overwhelmed. It's all good. We covered a lot of things here today. So thank you so much, Cassidy, for, for coming on and sharing, you know, everything that you know, like openly and so much value. So thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks for having me. That's fine. Yeah. And final thing, where can we find you online? So right now the best place is succulentsandsunshine.com. There's, you can go to the about page and message me there. And then 
we're pretty much succulents and sunshine on every other platform. Yeah, on YouTube, on you know Facebook, on Facebook, and then and in a few months you can go to CassidyTuttle.com and there will be something interesting there. But I, I promise that once that happens, we will. I'll grab you for a special webinar for our for our people, and we, you can tell all about it. So. I think it's important because it's definitely related to everything that we hear and, and just like in mindfulness do. We are creative entrepreneurs. Therefore, we are personal brand builders. Therefore, we blog. So this is extremely important. So I think like someone like you with so much experience can teach us a lot. So thank you, Cassidy. Well, definitely, <laughs> definitely share when it's out. So everybody, hope you enjoyed this show. If you liked it, please rate us on iTunes. If you're listening to this on iTunes, if you're not, just know it's on iTunes <laughs> and on YouTube and Stitcher and Spotify and everywhere, basically, where there are podcasts. So the Mindful and Ruthless Podcast, everybody. Cassidy, thank you so much. And we'll see you all next time. And it's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. The show notes for this episode will be available at mindfulandruthless.com slash podcast. And if you can, I would love to ask you for your help. It would help me so much if you would take a minute to rate this show on iTunes. As a way of saying thanks for your reviews, I will be giving away a prize once a month to one awesome person that left a great review. Are you that awesome person? All you have to do is just go to mindfulandruthless.com slash rate. This will launch iTunes in your device. Then all you have to do is scroll down to the bottom if you're on your iPhone or mobile device, or if you're on your laptop, just click the ratings and reviews tab up on the top of the screen. Simply write the show and leave a review and you will automatically be enrolled in the chance to win a cool prize of the month. So have an amazing day, night, wherever you are in the world. And remember to always be mindful of your time, relationships, and well-being and always be ruthless with your gut feeling, with your work ethics, and don't let anybody take you off your path, my friend. And so if they click that button that took them right to the pricing at the beginning, they were missing all the value that we worked so hard to like lay out for them. Is it something that gets me excited? You know, is it something that people ask me about all the time that I feel like I'm answering the same questions over and over? 